Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Mining Stock Daily. This morning, we have a company introduction and update from Core Mining. Core Mining trades on the TSX Venture with the symbol K-O-R-E, and also on the OTCQB here in the United States with K-O-R-E-F. And joining me this morning is the CEO of Core Mining, Mr. Scott Trevelcock. Scott, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Welcome to Mining Stock Daily. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me, Trevor. Uh, so your kind of slogan here for Core Mining is North America. you're a North American gold developer and explorer. You have a couple assets, two in California, and we'll probably spend bulk of the time talking about those assets, specifically uh, your flagship Imperial project in Southern California. You also have a few pure exploration plays, it sounds like, up in British Columbia. Um, but before we kind of dig into the weeds here, can you give us a general, you know, 30,000 foot view of uh, core mining and, and how core kind of came about in the last year and, uh, you know, what you look to accomplish? Yeah, absolutely. So core, much much like you said, you know, we, we, t- we took what we put on the front page of the corporate presentation uh, seriously. You know, our strategy is to pursue both exploration and development in parallel obviously to deliver deliver shareholder value by advancing our portfolio of gold assets into this uh, into this great gold market that's uh, that's setting up uh, in North America. We are drilling at a project in BC right now. We're going to be set up to drill across the portfolio later this year. And in parallel to that, our advanced Imperial project, which just completed a PEA, is going to be moving into the permitting process to become a mine. And, and our strategy is 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 on both sides of the of the, that fence exploration and development because the exploration gives you that near term excitement it gives you news flow we've got the potential for some great discoveries and building more gold resources of which we already have a significant multi million ounce resource base uh, in the in parallel with that with permitting because permitting well, hugely value accretive when you get the permit is often a bumpy road and and a long story. And we need that uh, that juice in the company with the expiration, the drill bit. And and that sort of gets to the, the history of the company. It was created in 2017, bought assets privately, went public, didn't raise any money until the middle of last year. So it's only existed with capital for about 12 months. So very new equity, you know, and move things in mining, even when you go out to explore, take time. So We've only been delivering news flow to the market for about six. We've attracted two strategic shareholders, where which is the only source of capital we've raised to date. Eric Sprott to fund exploration and Macquarie to back development of the Imperial project. So I think we've we've shown that big smart money is backing our two two-pronged strategy and, and we're looking forward to a great 2020. So can you clarify this for me? So is Eric's Eric Sprott's money basically we, we call Eric Sprott by the first name now, it seems like anymore. <laughs> it's just Eric. So I apologize to Mr. Sprott if he's offended. Uh but it, so is that capital that he allocated to the to the company mainly focused on the BC projects, or is some of that also going into Imperial as well? Yeah, yeah. I, I say Eric backs expiration. There's there's no use of funds. He's just a straight equity holder. Okay. But you know what gets him excited is he loves that uh, that exploration story, building the ounces, ounce base, making new discoveries, the ounces in the ground, the the drill news releases. That just you know gets him fired up. And I believe that's why he's uh, he's invested in Core. Some of his money for sure is going to be used on exploration on the California assets. 
And that's opposed to Macquarie, where we have an investment agreement that says their money well and truly has to be used to advance permitting of Imperial because that's their primary objective is to lend us money mm -hmm. to construct the mine. So I was actually going to ask you about uh, Eric Sprott's investment into core kind of later, but since we're already on topic, sure. I'll, I'll you know just kind of open it up right now. And it's just kind of an observation. I mean, obviously he's been incredibly successful with his investments, and you've seen him. It's you can't open up, you can't open up the uh, daily news uh, uh, press releases out of this industry without probably seeing Eric's name a couple times as a strategic investor. Um, you know, I think there's, could be a conversation is like, obviously that's good for those companies, but, uh, you know, knowing that he's putting money in all sorts of different places, does that have continue to have the same clout as a, a, a marketing tool for other investors as, um, as it, as it, as it did in the past, knowing that, He's, you know, in dozens and dozens of companies now. Yeah. Yeah, ab absolutely. You know, I, you know, I was in, you know, I went in with, uh, with our chairman and founder and, and pitched Eric on investing the company, I think in, in August uh, of last year. And yeah, he's wrote lots of checks into lots, lots of companies. And I'm sure not every one of those will be a, a smashing success, but he does have a nose for value for sure. Um, I think the most important thing about his investment is that, you know, he is investing in expiration. So Nevsun does have, or sorry, Core does have some great expiration potential. And then really it's, it's a backstop for, for financing. He's got, you know, deep pockets for stories he likes. He's willing to, you know, take significant positions and support those companies. And he's savvy in helping support those companies and a small startup like Core needs that, savviness that at the right point, you know, you become his name that he's uh, pounding the table on, you know, he can generate a lot of value. So I, I really like him from that perspective. But yeah, we don't lean in our lean on our marketing to say, hey, Eric invested us to go special we are that certainly doesn't, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> doesn't apply anymore. What's it like pitching project a project to Eric Sprott? Just curious. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll fully admit it was a it was a, a bit intimidating, you go into his uh, you know, the really nice offices in Toronto associated with uh, one of his old firms, you know, part of the, his namesake company and uh -huh. where he has some office space. And But on the flip side, he's he's incredibly practical. He's a really, you know, magnanimous and, uh, you know, generous person when it comes to to sharing. And he and he listens. He's got a real sharp eye. Obviously, he's seen every expiration story out there. And, you know, he was uh, quick to make a decision. Right. Mm -hmm. he, he looks, he listens, he asks few tough questions he's done his homework and you know is a it was a, the way you want any investor meeting to go yeah he, and he gives you he gives his thoughts right on the spot you don't just take a number at the counter and wait your turn so <laughs> sounds like no no yeah, he was very thoughtful thoughtful in the meeting it was actually a good process but certainly it was nerve-wracking when you know at that point we didn't have any money and we yeah. were looking to get it so it's certainly uh it was certainly uh an, an interesting process okay. but uh yeah, very professional. Okay, well, let's uh, turn the conversation over to Imperial, which is your flagship property in Southern California. This property has a lot of history. It's also, you know, I think the market sees a lot of red flags, obviously being California, and, and I'm sure you have taken numerous and numerous uh, questions about uh, building a mine and permitting and all that in, in California. It doesn't necessarily seem like 
the most favorite juris- jurisdictions or states in the U.S. to develop a mine, but we've seen other people do it successfully. I mean, Equinox Gold uh, is operating in, in California. Uh, and, you know, with what I know of Imperial, uh, it's, with its history, I will admit that I've known a couple people who are not involved in CORE who actually had looked at this project at Imperial before Core uh, ended up purchasing it. So give us a, just kind of give us a rundown of what that acquisition looked like to purchase Imperial and what you as a company look to do to get it into development. Yeah. 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 I could talk for, I could have a very long answer that I'll try and touch on a couple of your points uh, in, in a quick manner. So Core was able to acquire Imperial because one of the founders of the company and, and still a large shareholder on our board is Adrian Rothwell. Adrian was an ex-Gold Corp executive. And because Glamis originally drilled and took this project through feasibility in the 90s, the project was sitting dormant in, you know, Goldfield or Gold Corp's portfolio under Chuck Janess, who was a Glamis guy, mm-hmm. right? That's the that's the connection where the asset came from. So it was sitting in Gold Corp with them paying the claim fees for whatever that is, 20, 20 years. Um, now, when Chuck retired and Garofalo came in, you know, he said, what's all this stuff? Clean up the company, cut overhead, get rid of all this non-core stuff. And you've seen Bluestone and Core and multiple other companies created from assets that, uh, uh, you know, were sort of uh, just blown out at, at a moment in time. And at that moment in time, no one cared about small cap gold companies. And, and we were able to get the asset at a, at a, at a very you know favorable price to core shareholders. So, lo- so looking at that, so then taking the Glamis story through a little bit of, bit of history, they were operating the Picacho mine, and this is in the 1980s, Imperial County, it's boom time for the gold business. Well, boom time as much as possible, gold's 400 bucks, but there's four operating heat bleach gold mines in Imperial. You got Mesquite's been discovered, built by Goldfields, Newmont's exploring. You've got American Girl, and that's actually where, you know, Ross Beatty started his career in the original Equinox at American Girl, just down the road. Uh, Picacho's being operated by Glamis. This Imperial thing is discovered. Uh, Glamis puts their foot on it because Picacho's running out of ore. They drill out the deposit, take it into permitting, and they run smack into. Um, a political campaign to protect the deserts in California under the Clinton administration faced all kinds of, of resistance through the, trying to get their project permitted. And by the time the uh, Bush administration came in and cleared away the, some of the BLM rhetoric that was thrown in their, in their face to block the project, gold had collapsed to 250 bucks, and California passes the backfill law. And the backfill law was full reclamation of any open pit mine uh, including filling in the pit, a very high standard of reclamation. And when gold's 250 bucks, that rendered every open pit gold mine in California uneconomic. And a lot of big guys got burned. Glamis got burned, Royal Gold got burned, Newmont got burned because they put money into projects they thought were going to be mines and they got, you know, they got burned. So that, you know, California wore that stigma for, you know, as you've said, as re- the rare red flag comments to today. If you look in more modern times, in the last five years, you've seen California as a state put the Golden Queen mine into production. Uh, Sutter Gold got a permit, and that was a, actually even even with tailings um, to become a mine. Equinox's Castle Mountain is moving forward. That project was put together and permitted by our chief operating officer, Mark LaDuke. 
And we're, we're then looking to be the fourth in line to become, you know, a new gold mine in California. So I, I challenge you to find many other states in, in the union that have permitted, uh, you know, three mines in the last five years. There's probably, you know, one hand mm-hmm. so or you, less. You, you published a, a new PEA for Imperial last, or two, I guess two months ago, back in April. Um, but you, you, you just mentioned that uh, Glamis t- took that project, I think you said in the 80s or 90s, all the way through feasibility. So were you able to kind of cipher bits and pieces from that you know, feasibility study into this PEA, or did you really have to just start from scratch since we're in a completely different market? Um, well, I mean, we started, we started from scratch, but, you know, ore bodies and, and, and field conditions, you know, even over a 20 year period, uh, you know, don't change very much. So the deposit is still very well drilled, very densely drilled. It was drilled by all vertical RC drilling because that's what people did. And that's how people explored in the nineties because it was the lowest cost way of defining ounces at surface. You know, that drilling is left you know, a lot of exploration opportunities on the table for core. If you if you think about um, step outs and undercover mineralization, because the, the deposit outcropped, they were just following the outcrop to depth to depth from an outcrop until it got too too deep to mine in their view, and they were just trying to move forward it as fast as possible. So you've got their drilling. Their drill date is still good. It's only had one owner this entire time. So we've got a, a core locker that's got all the chips, all of the data. We've even got the geo that did the drilling. That still works for core today and does all our staking a great guy named uh, dan provence who who you know spends a lot of time locally so and there's been nothing lost on the history of the project glam has put in a water well a series of pisometers to monitor that uh, they built their hydrogeological model they did the full feasibility they did archaeological clearing they did biology studies and while we will have to update those to make them valid for permitting you know what the results will be mm-hmm. And that, you know, credit that causes that allows us to, you know, advance the project at a lot less cost. Uh, it certainly de-risks it in our mind from what you're like. You're not going to go out and find some, uh, you know, indigenous uh, burial site or something because the whole site's been previously cleared by a, you know, archaeologist walking the site hand in hand. So I think it's got a lot of advantages from Glamis's work. And Glamis was was known to do really good work. They were technically very strong. And we do have the benefit of that as we go forward at core, which is exactly why we're taking a PEA right into permitting because there's no doubt this should be a mine. Sure, it's only a matter. It's only a matter of when. Well, the PEA has some pretty solid numbers. I mean, you use a base case of one thousand four hundred fifty dollar gold uh, that gave you an NPV of uh, you know, three hundred forty-three uh, million dollars with forty-four percent IRR. Obviously, you can look at the sensitivity table. I mean even using if we go up to $1600 that $1600 gold that IRR moves up to 52%. So solid numbers, I mean obviously it's a low capex, $142 million uh pre-production capex. Uh you know, one of the numbers obviously there there's there's over a million ounces life of mine production there. Um you're kind of on the cusp. Um you know, of being, you're not necessarily a huge tier one asset just with Imperial, but is there room for exploration and um, increasing those ounces in the ground to really improve the economics of Imperial? And do you plan on doing that while permitting? 
Yes, the short answer is yes and yes. Um, you know, Glamis, as I said, did a lot of vertical RC. They had a, a marker layer. So, you know, geologically, this is a 100% oxidized, metallurgically simple, uh, go disseminated gold deposit. There's not high-grade parts and low-grade parts. It's all pretty much the same across the ore body. So that's great from a mining perspective. It's been thrust up on younger conglomerate rocks. So Glamis would just simply drill through the mineralized gneiss as soon as they hit the conglomerate, terminate the hole, step out, drill again. That was it. Didn't care about structure, didn't care about understanding anything about local geology. They knew they had that marker layer and they would just uh, drill, 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 chasing the deposit at depth. As soon as they got too deep, they would step out, do another fence and just drilled out uh, this 2.2 million ounce resource. So as we've gone in and done, and other companies and geologists have done, you know, structural interpretation and tried to think more about why this mineralization is here and some of the faulting, it has left some good exploration opportunities on the table, most, mostly in between our two pits where we think there's a, a down-dropped block that's, uh, that was missed because they just weren't hitting anything, so they terminated the holes early. Um, and then there's uh, Geophysics, which re-ran re IP Geophysics uh, earlier this year, and there's a couple news releases on our regional exploration uh, line of, of news releases that show there's step-out geophysical anomalies undercover. So again, they just followed the mineralization to, you know, from the outcrop. If you step out, it looks like there could be another couple pods of mineralization on strike to the east and, and even to the west. So we've got lots of things to test. Uh, with backfilling in the mine plan, we've got to be very sure what we're mining before we start, because once you start backfilling, you can't go back. It's not like you're opening up a pit and then you decide, yeah, we'll do another cutback later. So we will be drilling in and around all of these targets to make sure we sterilize all of them before we get to the final mine plan. Now that said, we are permitting a boundary for the project that's got some room to grow, uh, just in case we're, we're able to do that. And we can change how we use the disturbed ground inside the boundary of the project during permitting without um, you know, causing any delays to the permitting process. And in addition to that, we've got uh, 28 kilometers of strike all the way up to Mesquite, where we've got uh, potential for new multi-million ounce discoveries for entire, entirely new projects. Do you have any desire or need to even look deeper? I mean, I know like in Nevada exploration, the theme lately has been let's drill deeper to see what's below a lot of this bulk tonnage uh, mineralization. Is that is is that something you would consider doing with this property? Is it even necessary? Uh, it's, it's actually a very good question because we've got this uh, unexplained, um, the ge what the IP geophysics show, there's this, uh, I think it's a chargeability, I can't remember, a resistivity anomaly that's contiguous and underneath and below the depth of currently known mineralization. Hmm. And we're wondering if the deposit's kind of been folded over and laid on top of itself, that, thus creating this conglomerate layer that, that terminated the previous drilling, or perhaps is the sulfides, because this deposit is 100% oxides, never touched a sulfide ounce in both Mesquite and Imperial, which are, or sorry, Mesquite and Picacho, which are on the trend, both had sulfides attached to their oxides, as you would expect to see in an intact system. So short answer is yes, we're going to drill some long core holes through the guts of the, of the deposit, get some more MET and geotech data, but run them long to test some of those deep anomalies. And if you find something super spectacular, like, you know, Gold Strike started out as a crappy little heap leach, and then now it's today it's Gold Strike. 
So yeah, I think we'll we'll do a few long holes, um, but we're we're really focused, and the lower risk stuff is going to be the uh, step outs on strike. Sure. Well, I'm just curious. Let's you know hypothetically, uh, you drill deeper and say you find mineralization pretty far down there. I mean, does that complicate things more than improve them based on the backfilling reclamation you have to? Yeah. You know, and so it's kind it, of it's it's certainly it's a it's a good problem to have though. Okay. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a decision I would struggle with. You make a, a a big thick discovery underneath this thing that changed the whole game. Well, uh, that'll change the game for Core's equity too. So, um, I think uh, that's a problem I would love to have. Okay, very good. Yeah. Um, so uh, we can let's take it. Let's take Imperial, and I want to ask you: like, you have no desire. It sounds like to build a mine on Imperial and start mining. Like, you would rather dispose of this thing through an acquisition correct i wouldn't necessarily say that I, the company core is is ultimately practical in that it is about shareholder value we're not ego driven i don't have the desire to be the ceo of a million ounce producer and i don't have some long-term vision to build a new mid-tier mining company that said, the best way to deliver value to shareholders is to take the Imperial project, move it forward like we're going to put it into production, build it when that comes along, you know, make sure we're set up for financing. We've got Macquarie already looking to backstop uh, debt financing to fund the construction. We've got a low CapEx hurdle anyways, even for a company the size of Core. Uh, we can take this project all the way into production. Now, that said, I think the market is littered with too many single asset gold producers already. And if there is a good exit point along the path that's good for the stakeholders of the project, good for our shareholders, it's certainly something we'll consider. And it's some, it's a reason to invest in core because that is a distinct possibility. So you, your background, you were in Nevson, though, when uh, the, the TMUC property was bought out. Is that, is that, did I catch that right? Yeah, I was there even before that. So I was okay. at uh, Nevson as we as we built the mine in Eritrea, the original gold mine, through two phases of expansion. And then I led the trans. I was Corp Dev at, at Nevson, so I led the transaction to buy Reservoir, and uh, it was in the company as we tried to take that forward, and ultimately got taken out by Zijin. Yeah. Okay, so. Th that part of the business, like you are well, <laughs> well versed in, you know, that, that, which is great. I think that definitely fits, uh, what the intentions of the company is. Um, however, like it always comes down, like it, it just, I'm struggling here because it's, it's, uh, can acquisition be the ultimate exit always? And when it comes to M&A activity, I, you know, I have to admit that I think the market has been a little bit uh, ho-hum <laughs> with what we've seen in, within the past uh, month or two. We're not seeing, we're definitely not seeing majors coming and buying juniors a whole lot at all. And no. uh, even, you know, mid-tiers coming in and buying junior developers, we're not seeing any of that. And even what we are seeing, the premiums that have been just lackadaisical. Correct. Uh, yeah, like 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 that that time is for sure. I agree with you. That time is not now. And you know, we were sort of having a talk before this started about you know the where are we in the gold cycle? And 
you know, we're only in the early days of of signaling for, you know, a, a real gold bull market, which would be a couple year run where, you know, gold companies are making strong returns. The producers all return to 1.5 to two times PNAV valuations. And when that happens in the in the institutions get tired of buying gold stocks at those incredibly high valuations, the only way those companies will attract capital is by looking for growth. And like everything in mining, it takes time for that motivation to flow through to corp dev teams and to take actions and to create competitive tension. So, you know, Core has got a multi-year path ahead of us. We've got strategic backers to fund the company, and we're going to lean heavily on the uh, on the exploration side as as we move forward to generate excitement about our assets. And, you know, we can, you know, if we go down this path and we're looking like we're getting close to getting a, a permit at Imperial and go into construction, we would probably spin the exploration assets to shareholders because they'd be better valued in a separate company. Because at some point, Imperial is just going to take over the raison d'etre for the, you know, the equity okay. as institutions move into the name. Well, I think a strength of the company, obviously, you have this really solid asset in Imperial, but you also have Long Valley up north. Uh, uh, further up on the uh, you know Central California Nevada border, uh, and you also got exploration plays up in British Columbia. I mean, these are two different mineralizations here. Um, can you just kind of? I, I know we're kind of running short on time, but can you give us just kind of a breakdown of what you plan to do at Long Valley there in California, also with the projects FG Gold up um, in British yeah, Columbia? Because those are more hard rock vein, uh, you know. Uh, um, controlled vein yeah, deposits. Yeah, up, up in BC, quite a different mineral. Now, now Long Valley, interesting, actually, is very similar to Imperial. It was drilled by Royal Gold, 92 to 96, densely drilled, uh, you know, 1.7 million ounces of gold, all less than 90 meters from the surface. So it's literally a thin veneer of gold in an epithermal gold system. Uh, it was left open during resource development when the backfill law came in and gold was at 250 bucks, which is when, you know, Royal Gold shelved the project. So we're simply going back in, re-modernizing the database, which is done due geophysics, and we're currently uh, putting drills, drill pads into the permitting process, which will allow us to drill in the fall. And we'd like to step out and start growing that uh, deposit. We'd like to get it to three to five million ounces. We've probably already got enough ounces to do a PEA, and its economics probably looks similar to or better than Imperial. So there is another development project not far down the path sitting in, in core already in in, uh, in long valley so the short story is drilling in the fall for oxide step outs and uh, high grade sulfides in the feeder zone which have uh, never been tested because as we said earlier in the 90s people simply explored with shallow rc looking for oxides only so that's it's long valley stepping up to bc you're right bc the fraser gold or fg gold project is a a uh, vein system drilled in the 980s, 90s, and 2000s by various operators. Bit of a mess and hodgepodge of drill types and geologic theories. However, it's left core with a big on-trend surface that's 20Ks long, a large claim package, 100% owned around it, and a 1 million ounce resource to build off. So we've gone back in, done a lot of work looking at the potential structural controls of the higher grade components of that ore body. And we're currently drilling those to come to get better structural information to upgrade some of the historic drilling by doing metallic screen assays because it's a very coarse grained nuggety uh, ore body. You get lots of VG, visible gold, you get 
big chunky globs of of gold and to assay those you need to do expensive metallic screens and we're committed to do that across a few fences on the ore body to show that they're the high grade could stand on its own mm-hmm. and then look to make new discoveries underneath that because it's a it's a big mineralized uh, rock group that's never been tested below 100 meters so it's really going back and it's more i don't know I, i'm not saying it's the same type or scale as great bear but it's the same theory We've got an old ore body, never been interpreted structurally. It's got some nice high grade in it. Let's go focus on that and see if we can make a real project out of it. So super exciting exploration. We got two holes out last week. We got six more coming in a couple of weeks and the drill starts turning uh, again uh, next week. So uh, I think the near term exploration juice in core and excitement is going to be from uh, FG Gold. Yeah, you, you have a lot to balance. Uh, with all, all of these projects with different, you know, they're all in different uh uh, sections of the of the cycle you know of the mind cycle yeah. right yeah exactly we've got three different stage projects we've got but the good news about the portfolio is it is a strategic choice to not just pick one asset to work we want to wave our arms about the quality of each of these assets and look at our opportunities and you know we may look in a hot market you'd look to put some of these assets into separate companies and let our shareholders benefit from the potential valuation because i don't know i look out there and see other companies with projects similar to either one of our three assets that have similar market caps to mine. And I think, man, maybe portfolios aren't so good, but yeah. it certainly gives us lots of uh, bullets in the chamber for news flow. Well, so back in May, um, you on your corporate presentation, you said you had $5 million in the bank. Is that still roughly about where you're at here in mid-June or a little bit yeah, less? Yeah, 4.5 4. 4. 4. 4. 5 4. probably. Okay, paid 4. the bills from the last drill program. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay, 4.5, but you have a lot of activity planned uh, through this summer. You know, you're working on um, permitting. I mean, you're you're going to need more than four and a half million dollars to get Imperial into some sort of construction, oh, no, yeah. right? So yeah, no, no, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, we're being aggressive with the balance sheet. We want to use, put the capital we bring in the company to work, do it in an efficient way, do it so it generates uh, news on the company. We're going to have enough drill pads permitted in the fall here to do 20 or 30,000 meters of drilling across those projects if we wanted to. Um, but it's a matter of, you know, balancing that capital market story, which core is still, you know, 66% insider owned. The public float is trading better, but it was pretty illiquid last year. And we need to keep marching up and improving the capital market side of the business. At some point, we need to do a large distributed fundraising to get more shares out in trading. But uh, we're, we're just not there yet from a maturity perspective. So we're going to keep doing little bits of capital and little programs. Um, and at some point, we can do that, say, hey, look, we got a ton of value with a huge program and go out and raise that uh, big chunk. But well, yeah, we're not there. We're not there yet. You just have over a million shares out fully diluted, but your float's like, 35% if, you know, somewhere around yeah. there. So, I mean, with such a tight share structure, I mean, if this thing really picks up and you show good results and the market appreciates it, I mean, this thing could really move and therefore your market cap can move pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I mean, that's exactly the d- debate we have in- internally. And when I say to be fair to current shareholders, current shareholders have backed this company through pretty tough times getting this thing going in, you know, 18 and, and 19 were not easy years. Uh, we want to make sure we give them the benefit of of you know deploying all the capital we have to fully uh, you know generate value from that capital before we look to you know do something new and significant. But yeah, you're right. Uh, with the 
with the tight shareholding and the and the low float uh, with a good with a run, the equity can really run, and we want to give our shareholders as many opportunities for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other opportunity I think you might have, and this is obviously very forward thinking and kind of you know way out into the future, but I mean. Let's say you you are able to get Imperial to construction and it is acquired by somebody else. Therefore, you might can you keep core core mining structurally as a company and use that revenue from the um, from that acquisition of Imperial to advance these other two projects? Is that somewhat of a business strategy that you're considering? Yeah, absolutely. If we were able to sell. You know, if someone came along and gave us a, the right value for Imperial at, at whatever point we get to down the track, uh, yeah, you'd, you'd like to deliver the rest of those sh- those assets, like I said, which each have standalone significant valuations back to our shareholders. And that's very common in, in deals. You know, companies commonly call them, you know, two. You got, you know, Integra 2 and, uh, you know, uh, Oh yeah, everybody wants their sort of second company. So absolutely, we'd spin the assets back to shareholders. I don't. I'm you know, Imperial's a pretty significant project. If we're going to sell it for anything, it's going to be, you know, hundreds of millions. So I think we would return a lot of that capital to shareholders sure. and look for the the spin code to stand on its own. But you'd leave a little seed capital in it to get it going. But yeah, I think there's a lot of value to unlock in, in breaking up a portfolio. We have to do so prudently and at the right point and you know, in a good market, we could see great valuation for all the different assets in our portfolio. So super excited. Uh, Scott, I've, I've taken up a lot of your time. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's wrap it up there. And, and uh, you know, we'll be sure to hopefully touch base again here in the future as more news comes out uh, from core mining. Uh, but I, I guess I'd let me give you the last word. And uh, before we let you part, uh, what do you want your uh, shareholders and or speculators and junior goal to understand about core mining. Yeah, we're deploying capital in 2020 to generate catalysts. We've got ounces in the ground and a PEA to back valuation. We've got nice supportive strategic shareholders to keep financing our work programs and in a good market and in any circumstance, I think there's going to be a great year of 2020 for core and I think everybody in the sector is excited and it's a great time to be investing in, in gold stocks. Scott, Thanks for coming on to Mining Stock Daily and, and giving us the story. Thanks, Trevor. Great great to be here. That's Scott Treblecock. He's the CEO of Core Mining. They trade on the TSX Venture with the symbol K-O-R-E and also on the OTC QB with K-O-R-E-F.